Yeah, I think you should go that way. There you go. On the back of your bulletins are uh, several announcements. Uh, one I'd like to call attention to in particular. Um, you can read them all. One of the things that we have, as we've listened to our younger families, we do throughout the year, we do a variety of Christian education classes at nighttime here. I teach on Wednesday nights. Sometimes Lisa Best teach on Tuesday nights. And uh, um, Sometimes we have things going on on Thursday night. But our younger families find it very hard to come because children. And so if we can continue to provide child care, we can get some of our younger families here to learn as well. So the second item down, child care help needed. See that? That's you. Just please begin praying about uh, helping Annika with child care. So we free up some of our uh, younger families to come to that. Second thing is in your bulletin, you have this bright colored thing. I want to call attention to that. On January 29th, we have two things going on. We have a baptism Sunday. So I think we already have five people that want to get baptized. So if you have not been baptized and you would like to be, call the office, call Mark, call me, call Jude, call any of us. We don't care. And we'll figure out how to connect with you and talk to you about baptism. On the same day, right after the second service, we're having an inquirer's class. If you've not been to that, but you're curious about how our church functions, why we do the things we do, why we believe the crazy things we believe, that kind of stuff, this is the class for you. Um, This is the first step towards becoming a member, but it's not a requirement. It's just a chance to come and learn. We'll provide lunch. It'll be right across the hall. There's a sign-up right out on the welcome table out there if you're interested. So come and uh, learn about our church. Learn about what we're all about and what we believe and what does it mean to be a community church. It's a, it's a fun, fun exercise. One of the things I know when I stand up here, sometimes I come up here and I think, well, today I'm going to tick off the Catholics. But that's okay because next week it will be the Baptists. And the week after that it will be the Presbyterians. That's a community church. <laughs> I love it. Every, every denomination I know of is present here. And it makes it really fun. All right. Before we uh, get into our discussion today of voodooism, I want to take some time to pray. Today is a Sanctity of Life Sunday where we celebrate life. It's interesting, uh, yesterday Nancy and I were down at CU Med Center, a couple that I've been meeting with up here. They haven't yet come to our church, but we've been meeting and talking about Christ. Um, Their baby was born uh, three months early. So they, she went in here and they put her on a helicopter and took her down there. And so we got to see this little, tiny, little, tiny guy, Josiah. He was like three pounds when he's born. And he's now like four pounds. And it's like, it's amazing. Such a little guy with life. His mom starts talking and he opens his eyes and looks around for the voice. And uh, just reminded me of how much as Christians we celebrate life. So let's stop and pray. Father, uh, as your children, we do stop and thank you for life. It truly is a gift from you. And we are so grateful, Lord, for our children, our grandchildren, um, perhaps for some of us, our great-great, I mean our great-grandchildren, and Lord, those that we have watched come into the world, we're very grateful for that. And Father, we continue to lift up the change in uh, power in our government, the uh, peaceful transition with our outgoing president and our incoming president. And Lord, we, we pray for our government from the president through the Congress all the way down to our local elected officials and, 
employees in our local towns right here, our mayors, town councils, employees. And Father, they make decisions all day long that impact our society. And I pray that you would continue to give them wisdom and that you would, Lord, you would be, uh, can, that you would help us, Father, to come together as a nation and somehow find a, find a way to be unified. Father, I pray for the other churches in our county. Lord, uh, this morning they're meeting and worshiping. And Father, they are working to uh, do the same thing we are, to bring the love of your son Jesus out to this county, so many of which don't know you. I just pray that this very day that you would bless them, each of them, and their people as well. And thank you. And help us today, Lord, as we, we look at Haiti and uh, look at a country that is uh, that desperately needs you. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're in a series looking at how the gospel is worked out in various nations and religions. Um, last week we talked about traditional African religions. Today we're going to look at voodooism, specifically as it relates to Haiti. That's their, uh, that's their official religion. Now, when I mention the word voodoo, it conjures up all kinds of images for you, right? Typically, it conjures up magical dolls with pins stuck in them to inflict pain. How many of you thought of that when we said voodoo? Okay, most of you, yeah, that's what I thought. Some of you may uh, be familiar with the concept of the resurrection of the dead, what we think of as zombies, that that's part of it. Um, Let me just start out by saying these images are the result of misrepresentation. You can thank Hollywood for that. If you were to ask people who believe in voodooism, that is not a core part of what they believe. Uh, that's just something that has developed over the years. And what we want to do today is look at how the people that were raised in a voodoo culture, how they understand that, and what does that mean to them? Because we do work in Haiti. Voodoo originated, we believe, um, I mean, it's not a documented language, and so we're really, it's a long oral history, and we're we're looking at what we know from various other writings, but we think voodoo originated with African slaves who came from the West African tradition. So some of what we talked about last week with the traditional African religions, some of that get, gets brought into a voodoo culture. When they were brought over, they, were, um, they combined the elements of their West African traditions with Roman Catholicism, since much of the Caribbean was Roman uh, Catholic. That's called syncretism, where they brought these religions together and it began to shape each other's religions. So they spread from Africa to the Caribbean on slave ships. Now, when the slaves first came over, um, in 1686, they passed a law forbidding the practice of African religions. They were slaves. That's what they were. It's a despicable part of world history. I get it. It's one of the most heinous parts of our history. Um, By the way, when we get into what happens with combining with Catholicism, I'm not slamming Catholicism. We all have skeletons in the closet, don't we? Every religion. And so this just happens to be a unique form of what happened in the Caribbean, especially in Haiti. So this law forbade the practice of African religion, and it required all masters to Christianize their slaves within eight days of their arrival. How would you like that? You're forced out of your country, separated from your family, taken, put in a ship. Uh, If you made it, you're going to struggle with uh, barbaric treatment, hard work, and you have to become a Christian in eight days. Who's going to say no? 
It's your life if you say no, right? Of course you're going to convert. That makes sense to me. So, subjected to, subjected to forced labor and expected to adopt this new religion, these enslaved Africans, they turn to their familiar spirits. Um, primarily the spirits of their ancestors, very similar to the African religions, to guide them and help them survive this very painful transition and for most of them the rest of their life. And so, voodooism was what happened. Slavery was condoned by the Catholic Church during this period of time as a tool for converting pagan Africans to morally upright Christians. So the transition process was very, very quick. But you can't get a religion out of a person. Not very easily. I look at how long it takes to convince you folks of the truths that we believe in such a way that they actually get ingrained in your life and they begin to change the way you behave. Some of you still haven't got there yet. Some of you are in the middle of the journey and they they had to do it in eight days. Wow, it's pretty impressive. So the slaves, uh, they were forced to adopt these Catholic rituals and they, they began to give them double meanings. Can you imagine being away, ripped apart from your family, put in a hold of a ship, hauled off, never to see them again. Now you're treated harshly and beaten and in forced labor. And, um, and you're told to adopt a new religion. First of all, you're going to look for people like you uh, to feel confident, comfortable, to find a way to survive. And you're going to find a way to use your religion in the context of this new religion. So in the process, many of their spirits became associated with Christian saints. For example... Uh, in Haiti in particular, in Haiti voodoo, Haitian voodoo, St. Peter is recognized as a gatekeeper of the spirit world. While uh, St. Patrick is associated with the snake spirit. So they just began to do some of what we saw uh, in Africa where they began to merge religions together, syncretize them together. Voodooism in Haiti became a force that gave strength and sustained the slaves through their hardships and suffering. It gave them a cause. It gave them a reason to, uh, to live. Now, voodoo refers to a whole assortment of cultural elements, personal creeds, practices. Um, in fact, we could almost put Christianity at the beginning of the sentence and it would sound like us. Personal creeds, practices, an elaborate system of folk medical practices, uh, a system of ethics transmitted across generations, including proverbs, stories, songs folklore. That's what we do, isn't it? Yesterday I was in the mall uh, when we went down to the hospital to see a med center. On the way back, we decided, well, we're in Denver, let's stop by the mall. So I'm in the mall, and I had to go to the, to the restroom. And as I go walking into the restroom, <laughs> there's, a, there's a young Hispanic father with a little boy. And he stops at the door, and he says, now, this is a sign for a man. See this right here? And he highlights it. The boy looks, and he walks over there, and, he goes, and I just stopped to watch. And he said, this is the sign for a girl. See that? Mm-hmm. So which one do you go in? And he says, well, I go in this one. He says, great. Now, when we go into the bathroom, you don't touch anything. And the boy said, okay. He said, don't touch anything. And then when we're done, we'll wash our hands. He's taking him through the... He's teaching him how to go through the bathroom at a public restroom. All right? It was just... I mean, if I could have videotaped it, I would. It was that cute. And uh, how, that's how we teach our children our beliefs and our, 
our thoughts. We have morals. We have fairy tales. We have stories, don't we? Uh, Voodooism is no different. It is an actual way of life. It is a religion. By the way, Christianity, for many of you, is a way of life. I mentioned last week, when I go into a foreign culture, I'm able to see kind of where their culture and their religion blends because I'm not part of the culture. It's hard for me to see in my own culture, just like it is for you. For example, I'll give you a couple of them. When our elders become elders, we talk about the fact that you lose the right to privacy. There's no such thing as a biblical right to privacy. That's an American legal right. In fact, it's just the opposite as a Christian. Your life becomes a story for others. It becomes a billboard for God to reveal his glory. And so when you go through challenging times, it's not always for your benefit. It is. It helps you. But it's for the benefit of those around you. How many times have we prayed for Don and Patty Wolf? Right? Fighting for his life with cancer. He and I had breakfast this week. And I, and I passed on to him some of your statements to me about what an example he is of how to, how to have an enduring faith when you're fighting for your life with cancer. Many of you were here a year and a half ago when I stood right up here and said I was diagnosed with bladder cancer. Told you the whole story. And um, every so often I go in for a cancer screening and by God's grace it's clear. But every time I go in I wonder if this is a time when it's not going to be clear. Uh, my life belongs to the Lord. As Paul says, we are now slaves of Christ. And so my life is here for your benefit. So that's one example. You don't have the right to privacy. Another right that you don't have is the right to freedom of speech. Again, another American legal right. No, you don't have the right to that. Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth but only such a word that brings encouragement to the one that's listening. You have the right and the responsibility to be encouraging in the lives of people. You do. One of the questions I get about my preaching style is how come I don't preach more on sin? How come I preach more uh, in a positive vein? Well, from a literary perspective, this is a comedy, not a tragedy. The good guy wins. That's what it means. It's called the good news about Jesus Christ, not the bad news. So where do we deal with sin and brokenness and all of that? Well, some of you have had the, uh, the opportunity to sit with me over coffee where we talk about what's going on in our lives, your life and mine. And uh, most, some of you know that I'm pretty transparent with my life. Again, my life is a story for you to understand what God is doing. And that's where we deal with sin. When we get to uh, Lent, we're going to spend the whole season of Lent talking about sin so that we can recapture a very good Christian core Orthodox doctrine. Not the way it's necessarily lived out in some of your church experiences, but what actually is sin and what's actually wrong with it? How does it actually hurt you? And why is God interested in us talking about that? So we're going to spend time talking about that. But I rarely talk about it with force up here. But I don't mind looking you in the eyes and saying, well, why are you doing that? Why? I sat with a very good friend who decided to uh, divorce his wife. Which he did. 
So he came up and spent some time. We spent time together. And he's telling me why he did it. And I just said, why don't you just admit the truth? He just didn't like her. And you decided to sin. Why don't you just be honest? I'm more interested in talking about what is the effect in your life because of that choice. That's what sin is about. And we're going to be talking about it. We have a hard time as American Christians separating out from our Christian beliefs and our cultural practices. We really do. And as a culture deteriorates around us, those practices become acceptable to us because they feel okay. It doesn't make them okay. So we need to understand more about that. Well, voodooism, it does believe in a supreme being. They have a supreme uh, creator God. God, His name is Bandu. He's unknowable and uninvolved. He's way out there and he's not interested in us, in voodooism. They don't even try to know him. He's not interested. He's created a bunch of lesser spirits to take care of all the mundane things like us. So the voodoo worshipers, they hold to many lower-level spirits, each one of whom is responsible for a specific area of life. Uh, They're the ones that interact with humans. So, for example, if you're a farmer, you might give praise and offerings to the spirit of agriculture. Or if you are suffering from unrequited love, somebody that's not responding to your advances, you would praise or leave offerings or petition the spirit of love so off, so forth, and so on. In addition to helping or impeding human affairs, the spirits can also manifest themselves by possessing the bodies of their worshipers. Now think about that. Possessing the bodies of their worshipers. They, the followers of voodoo, they believe in this universal energy and a soul that can leave the body during dreams and spirit possession. Now, in Christian theology, when we talk about spirit possession, it's usually something bad, isn't it? It's usually something evil. We associate it with demonic, that sort of thing, of a, of a spirit trying to enter an unwilling human vessel. But in voodooism, possession by a spirit is desired. How would you decide to validate your faith? First of all, it's called faith for a reason. It's not called proof. <laughs> all right? How would you decide to validate your faith? What do you do? Do you look that if God answers a prayer, he must be there? If I study enough science, it should be there. We should be able to prove it. Uh, If I look at archaeology, all those things are helpful. They do come alongside and help us think about it. But how would you decide to validate your faith? Faith, by definition, is belief in something you can't prove. Well, one of the ways they do it is through spirit possession. In a ceremony guided by a priest or priestess, This possession is considered valuable. It's a first-hand spiritual experience and connection with the spirit world. What does uh, Christianity teach? Romans 8. His spirit attests to our spirit that we are children of God. How does that happen? (laughs) I have no idea. All I can tell you is, with 100 coffees I've had with some of you in the last three months, I've heard 100 different stories of how your faith was validated. Beyond that, I can't, I can't make a concrete, hard and fast rule. They're attempting to do that. Okay, we, last, last week we did this. We're going to do it again this week. What are some of the implications 
within the culture of Haiti. We're talking specifically about Haiti. Uh, I believe the true test of a religion is how it's lived out and within the culture and how it impacts the culture. By the way, in uh, Nepal, they're doing a lot of wrestling. They just legally became a secular state. The reason they're afraid of Christianity over every other religion is because Christianity is the only religion that changes their culture. The other religions, they are synch- uh, syncretistic. They adopt the practices of each other. We'll look more at that in the next few weeks. And so Christianity does change culture. So one of the key implications in the culture of Haiti is this overwhelming fatalism. Last week we talked about fear among the African religions. Uh, in Haiti we're going to talk about fatalism. The average Haitian has little use for anything like our Western idea of free will, personal responsibility. Why? The spirits determine everything. If the spirits determine everything, whatever happens is because they decided it would happen. If you want to change something in life, uh, maybe you're sick or you want to change the fundamentals of a social system, maybe you don't like the economics or whatever, it would be absurd to try to act on your own. You have to ask the spirits to do it. It'd be counterproductive since the spirits decide ahead of time the way things are going to be. And the spirits themselves are not very changeable. They don't show change either. They are who they are. This fatalism contributes significantly to their unwillingness, the Haitians' unwillingness to struggle for liberation, to better themselves. There's no point in it. Now think about our God. Our God did the most incredible thing you could ever think of. He gave us choice. Each one of you gave the freedom. He gives you the freedom regularly to sin. And you all take advantage of it. Some of you are more than others. No, just kidding. We all do, don't we? We all take advantage of it. It's the most, it's the most humane, it's the most dignified thing that God could do is to give us choice. Freedom of choice. And we chose to walk away. And then he does the, most, the second most amazing thing you could ever conceive of. He goes after us and pursues us with love. No other religion teaches that. I've been meeting with a, a young woman, a wife, for about a year, having coffee, not a Christian. And uh, we just talk about life, you know. And she said this week, um, <clears throat> I've been thinking about what you're saying and you might be right. I said, tell me about that. Tell me how I might be right. Of all the wonderful things that I say to you, what's the one thing that might be right? No. <laughs> what might be right? And she said, well, I've been thinking back about over my life that all the different events, and she said, I, I, think, I think I see what you're talking about. Maybe there's a God who's trying to get my attention. You see, you didn't find the Lord. The Lord found you. Is that a wonderful story? When I'm talking to non-Christians, those who don't yet believe in Jesus, I just tell them, just keep asking the question. You don't have to worry. If God's real, he's going to find you. He'll come after you. And she said, I see what you're talking about. He whispers in your ear, taps you on the shoulder. And over time, 
he begins to get your attention. That's called love. So the greatest gift was the choice to walk away. And then the second greatest gift was his decision to pursue you relentlessly. I believe he's pursuing every human on the planet. That's what I believe. It's a fabulous gift. And that is the gospel story that God loves this creation so much that he'll do whatever it takes short of violating your free will to get you to turn to him, to worship him alone as God. That's the Christian message. And so here we have a religion that is steeped in fatalism because there's no hope. There is no hope. The various practices of Voodooism are designed to exercise a sense of order, control. Um, that's why, just like in the African religions, uh, experts, they become very important in the process. An example is the ritual that takes place. Every religion has to deal with what happens when you die. When you get to Hinduism and Buddhism, we're going to look at some pretty fascinating stories. In Voodooism, what happens when you die? Well, one year and one day after a relative dies, one of their relatives um, has to do something. Voodoo belief states that there are two parts to the human soul. By the way, how would you disprove this? We're back to how do you know your faith is real? You've got to figure that out. After death, these two parts of the soul, fight, they fight with one another. They're in tension. If they never resolve the tension, the spirit remains earthbound forever and brings illness and disasters on others. That's kind of how they think about what happens. So therefore, the priest or priestess becomes very important because they have to uh, have create this very elaborate and very expensive ritual um, where they sacrifice a large animal like an ox or something like that to relieve the tension between the two parts of the soul so the soul is free to leave and enjoy rest. Sounds so strange to our ears, doesn't it? To us who are raised in Christian thinking. Don't forget, part of the process of what we're doing here in this series is to help you grasp how different our religion is from other religions in the world. And to ask you, what do you believe? That's most important to me. Doesn't matter what I believe. I already know my faith. Elders know my faith. What do you believe? What do you believe? So one of the questions we want to ask is, um, what influence does Christianity bring to the culture of voodooism? Last week, we laid down some very simple principles. We believe in a personal God revealed in his son, Jesus. All this came from John 14. We believe that God himself will live with us and guide us through the Holy Spirit. We believe that peace, the Hebrew concept of shalom, the well-being of the entire person, we believe that peace is the ultimate outcome of living in relationship with God. This week, I want to add another one. We do not and we cannot appease God. They got that part right. If we only stop there, Christianity would be fatalistic as well. Listen to this verse out of Hebrews 10, this passage. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. That's what the law is. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual 
reminder. Catch that language. The sacrifices are an annual reminder of their sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But a body you have prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. So God set up the system, and he's still not happy with it. He's not even happy with the sacrifice of animals. Then he said, here I am. This is Christ. I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. He set aside the sacrificial system to fulfill the true law of God, the will of God. And by that will, here it is. Here's the hope that we as Christians experience. By that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. That's the hope of Christianity. If we didn't have that, we would be fatalistic. Because there's nothing you can do to appease God. Nothing. It is all based solely on his son's willing to sacrifice himself for us. That's what appeased the father. We do a lot of work in Haiti. Cindy, why don't you come on up here? I've asked Cindy McDonald to come up. Talk to us about Haiti for a moment. Uh, Every year we send a team down there. And uh, talk to us about Haiti and voodooism and your experience and all that. Um. It's kind of scary, and it's kind of unimaginable. You know, before I went to Haiti, I never really gave voodoo much thought other than what I'd seen on television. Um, You know, we kind of live in a little bubble here. (laughs) And um, the first time I went to Haiti, we got an opportunity to um, take some time away from the clinic and visit a village that was predominantly uh, voodoo worshipers. And um, it looked like just a typical village until we came to a, a small chapel or sanctuary mm. about the size of a, the bus stops in, in um, Summit County. Not Each have their own little temples, don't yeah, they? they all have their mm-hmm. little temples, just like we have our various churches and things like that. And um, the confusing part of it was um, as you entered it, it looked like, you know, a regular Christian church or Catholic church with lots of um, Catholic relics mixed with voodoo relics, you know, snakes and skulls and things like that. And um, you, could, you could see what Jim was talking about, of that mixture of trying to take the best of go. both things that they've been exposed to in their lives and, and make it work for them. Hedging their bets. Hedging their bets, right. Not what I want to do with my life. <laughs> um, and the interesting part of that was, you know, in my observation, people that practice voodoo seem to have this helplessness, mm. hopelessness, because they don't um, speak to their God. They speak through spirits. And all the different spirits control various things like your finances, your health, your relationships, 
and is, seems to be a continual, continual trying to feed the spirits with what they need to make your life better. Um, at the same village, we got to walk to a place where a voodoo priest would practice, and he happened to not be there, which I was okay with. <laughs> um, but in the back of the building were all these places where there were various altars. So if you may come to the priest with your first request or your first petition or your first prayer, you would go to the first altar and you may lay down some flowers. And if that petition or that prayer wasn't answered, then you would come back after some time and bring a different sacrifice. might be money, might be something from your garden, who knows? And as each altar failed to give them the results that they were praying for or petitioning for, at the very end of this plot of land was the cross. And it struck me then, oh my gosh, Christ is their last option for hope. Whereas we go to Christ first, praise God. You know, I don't have to keep coming, keep coming, keep coming and trying to please a spirit. I can go right to my God and ask for him for help or praise him for blessings. And to me, that's what our ministry when we go to Haiti is all about. It's providing hope to people who have never experienced it before. Going back to um, the trade history where they were traded as slaves and they were governed by France or the French, they went through a revolution where they were trying to secure their freedom from France. And they made a pact with the devil that if they won, they would uh, surrender their lives to the devil for 100 years. And I think Haiti's kind of fallen into that rut. It's been over 100 years since that happened. But they can't seem to forget the past and move forward. That, oh, woe is me, we made a pact with the devil, so now we have earthquakes and we have hurricanes and we have famine and we have poverty. It's a vicious cycle. And I think as Christians, when we go there, we want to present hope. Forget the past. There is a future. You know, there's, there's hope for unity. There's hope for um, good relationships. There's hope for good health. How do you do you that? Know? We just lead by example. You know, we pray a lot. We try to... But tell them about the loving. team. Tell them what you do when you go there. When the team goes there, we have... Um, we ask people if we, they want to be prayed over, and nobody really ever says no. But it's a medical team, it's right? It's a medical team, okay. right. And nobody ever really says no. Um, so that, you know, is one of our offerings. It's, it's um, you know, we want to pray with you because our medicine might not do anything. Sometimes our medicine doesn't get there. So we, we um, rely on God to just lead us and be good examples and love on them and not judge them. And, um, you know, if they want to know more about Christ, that's what we're there for. Um, but mostly we're leading by example, and God's leading us every step of the way. Um, and, you know, the spirit world is real. When we visited this village, um, it looks like any other village in a, you know, third world country. You're walking down a dusty road, and um, there were children out playing. All of a sudden, all the children disappeared. I was like, what's going on here? We're missionaries. We just want to, you know, say hello and 
invite them to come and get medical care. Well, you have to think back to missionaries pushing their faith, pushing that eight-day conversion. You know, I'd probably run and hide, too. If somebody told me I had to become a Christian in eight days, it wouldn't happen, probably. And, um, you know, I could feel God's shield around me, all these old, old Christian hymns, you know, coming up in my mind. And I think it was God saying, I need, I need my power to work through you. You're protected. Please, you know, share the gospel with these people. And we, we even had a time when the voodoo doctor or the medicine man came to visit our clinic. He was curious about what we were doing, just like we were curious about what he was doing. Uh, we did not know he was there at the time until one of the interpreters said, hey, that was the medicine man. He wanted to see what our magic could do for him. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a learning experience. Every time we go, we learn more and more about the practice of voodoo. Like Mark said, um, you know, somewhere in my reading and my um, conversations with Pastor Mano, it was uh, brought to our attention that only about 20% of the population is Christian. So the other 80%, they need our prayers. They need mission teams to go down there to build houses, to um, hold Bible studies, to uh, meet with um, men who want to know more about when men and women who want to know more about Christian faith um, because it is a confusing world for them. And hopefully it's not going to be hopeless forever. Hmm. Um, an interesting time, interesting place. And it's so close to home. It's unbelievable. Peter says that as Christians, we have the words of life. We can help people understand truth. We can. I'd like to uh, pray for you because you guys are getting ready to go back down a couple months, right? We go Easter week, which will be interesting this Mm -hmm. year. Usually we go in February, but this year it's April. So I'm looking forward to church on Sunday, especially Easter. It'll be awesome. Let me pray for you. Father, I do pray for Cindy and the team that's going down there. I pray, Lord, uh, in the intervening time while they're preparing, that you would supply all the resources that they need, that you would give them good health. And uh, that you would work through the logistics. I saw last year how much uh, work there was and coordination to get everything down there that they need. Get all the medicines down there, get them through customs and all of that. And I pray, Father, that while they're there that week, that you would bring to them, uh, yeah, the people who are sick um, physically, but I pray that you would bring to them the people that need to hear the words of life that they have to offer. Watch over them. And now, Lord, I pray for the Christians that are down there, many of whom I now know, I pray that you would continue to strengthen them for what seems to be a thankless and endless task of just being patient with people as they slowly learn to uh, turn to you and to trust you and to move away from uh, practices like voodooism. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.